everyone who has watched the video see me drop my first magazine that's when i was actually shot through the bottom of my right heel moved to get off the x got a fresh mag in there tried to take a shot shot didn't go off hey there self-defenders john korea is proud to be an ambassador for heckler and coke pistols the entire active self-protection team loves our hks knowing that we can drag them all over the country shoot thousands of rounds a year through each one subject them to very little care and they will always go bang incredibly reliable and a joy to shoot please visit them at hk-usa.com hk-usa.com and tell them the active self-protection podcast sent you hey gang just a quick note today's critical incident was caught on dash and badge cam and the videos were featured and analyzed on the main channel back on may 11th of 2022 so you might want to go check that out before you listen or at least check it out after you listen and i hope you enjoy Alrighty, gang. Welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast. I am your host, Mike Williver, your favorite former Fed with us today. Uh, a new friend of mine, Nathan Gadsden. Nathan is a police officer in Texas. Uh, he has uh, a critical incident that was uh, caught on camera on numerous uh, badge and dash cams and was featured on the Active Self-Protection channel um, a while back. So go look for that. Uh, he is engaged. Uh, two kids, one on the way. And uh, he's kind enough to join us and talk to us about this extremely harrowing event. So, Nathan, thank you so much for being here, buddy. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So let's start out when you were younger, uh, growing up. Did you grow up in Texas? And did you have a lot of uh, experience with firearms, self-defense, anything like that growing up? Or was that something not not until later in life? I grew up in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, Not a lot of firearm experience at that time. until I joined the Marine Corps at the ripe young age of 18. 18 years old. Okay, so um, I'm going to assume since you were from Florida, you went to Paris Island? Yes, I did. Nice. How um, This will come into play later on, but uh, the we, we spoke briefly before we hit the record button, and you mentioned that uh, your Marine Corps training really came into play in the incident at hand, uh, the incident being you come around a corner and are met with fully automatic gunfire, and you were able to stand tall and return fire and, and use tactics, some of which you learned in the Marine Corps. How much would you say the Marine Corps training played into your response to this versus uh, police academy or in-service training that you've had? Uh, I would say a plethora. Um, no, uh, the Marine Corps training played in a lot. Um, unfortunately, police departments around our country are years behind uh, moving and shooting as far as training that force-on-force scenarios. So um, we're starting to implement it now. And I think the the issue with that is that it takes critical incidences and learning from those to apply because what we're worried about is optics in the world right now. So we don't want, you know, militarized police officers or looking that way. We don't want them acting that way. But when it comes down to situations like I've had, uh, you definitely want that skill set. So the Marine Corps definitely gets the upper hand on giving me that. Um, but everything else, as you know, in this world is sometimes just a check in the box and you have to, you got to get it on your own. Yeah, I could speak to that personally. You know, the um, Ellie in general, I was a fed for most of my career, but Ellie in general is very reactionary. You know, nothing changes until there's an incident, like you said, and then all of a sudden we're doing all this new training. Uh, you know, I had a good friend of mine, Andy, I uh, was a firearms instructor with me in San Diego and and he 
he wrote up basically some training to do bounding overwatch. And everybody was like, what are we doing this for? It's like, cause we might need it. That's what we're doing it for. You know, that's, he was thinking outside the box and uh, you know, most people were on board, but a lot of the, a lot of the folks were like, I don't know, we don't need this. This is silly. You know, we'll, we'll never need bounding overwatch in our, well, you might, you know, you might indeed if you're on a warrant or whatever, and all of a sudden it goes poorly and you got to um, extricate yourself from that location. It might come in very, very handy. Um, not for nothing. Right. So, uh, what drew you into Ellie? I know a lot of former military uh, going to law enforcement, having been in San Diego for most of my career, obviously a lot of Marines, a lot of sailors that I worked with that were, were former Marines and sailors. Um, what drew you to law enforcement after your time in the Marine Corps? Um, well, since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a cop. You know, I had some not so nice experiences with officers and I had some great ones with officers. Um, and I think, you know, when kids, we're very, uh, we're, we're very spongy. Like you can imprint on us very easy at an early age. And when we see, you know, the guy all dressed up, he's got all the, the Batman belt and he's doing his job, you know, and you're like, man, that's what I want to do when I get older, you know? So from a young age, um, you know, I always tell my mom, I want to be a firefighter or a cop, firefighter or a cop and, um, getting out of the Marine Corps, Unfortunately, being in the infantry, you don't get a lot of civilian uh, transitional uh, skills. Mm -hmm. So um, not not for nothing to say that we're not intelligent people, but I needed that was something that would uh, that would work well or mesh well with the skills that I was already given. And um, it's still it was still a calling, you know don't really want to work around and not have a, a sidearm on me. So I was like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. It's a halfway house, you know, you got, you got officers from all around all walks of life, but you, you do find a lot of military guys there and it's like being home again because that camaraderie is easy to develop with those guys. Yeah. They call it a paramilitary organization for, for a reason. Yeah. I was never, I never did pack the gear to serve in your beloved corps. However, I do know that the job of the infantry is to kill people and break things. And there's not a lot of civilian application for that, generally speaking, uh, you know, but Ellie is yeah. an actual progression, you know, it, it really is. Um, and I always enjoyed my, my father was a Naval Academy graduate. He was a sub skipper from the fifties to the eighties. And, uh, so I grew up in, in the, the sort of the Navy world, you know, traveling around, and I always enjoyed, whether as a kid or as an adult, being around sailors and Marines and watching them completely mess with each other and being a little jealous that I couldn't join in on that fun um, right. with the, you know, the uh, internecine uh, arguments and, and joking. It's, it's, it looks like a lot of fun from the outside. So let's talk about right. your police academy training. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people that come from the military, they get to the police academy and they're expecting something that, that doesn't quite meet their expectations. And by, by which I mean, it's a lot easier than they thought it was going to be as far as the physical training and the firearms training. It's not as difficult as, for example, Paris Island. Uh, what, how do you feel like your police academy did uh, in training you and preparing you for stuff like what happened to you on that day in, in question? Well, fortunately for my class, um, we had, we call them uh, defensive instructors or L1s, defensive tactics instructor mine was a former drill instructor. So he brought what he learned from San Diego there and getting, I wouldn't say hazed, but it felt quite like it. Right. Uh, it, it took me home. You know, I was comfortable in that stress, you know? So it really didn't, I wouldn't say it really didn't phase me out or phase or phase me uh, physically. 
uh, because I I was instantly transported to a place I was comfortable with, which was being in the suck. For other individuals in that class, they had a hard time uh, developing, you know, that composure under his stress. Thick skin. Um, that, exactly. Um, he made he made the training hard. You know, he made the physical training very hard. Running until you know we couldn't run anymore. You know, run till you die. That's what we used to do in Marine Corps. So that's about a three mile run. Um, the wind sprints the fireman carries, the any type of drag he think we could do, you know, we were doing it. Then we we had jujitsu instructors in in um the police academy, which was very great because that's that's something that is needed at this point in time. Yeah, I think it should be mandatory uh, across the country, quite frankly. It should be that should just be what happens at all police academies. Correct. I I, I second that motion. Um so we were learning a lot physically. Um, the one thing I had to remember is when we went to go into skills that it wasn't forward assault anymore by myself or as a team, I couldn't just go in and get the bad guy, you know? So now you got to learn to reserve yourself. You know, if you can call the suspect out to you, it's not just kill, kill, kill anymore. It's, you know, talk them down and get them in cuffs and let justice do his job. So the, the academy was good. Uh, firearms line. It's the same, just like boot camp. Some people have never really shot a gun before, first time in their life. So you get up on the line, you're learning how to shoot, you're learning sight picture, you're learning how to hit the target. Um, a lot of the females were the best shooters in our class. Frequently the case, yeah. I, yeah, I was, I think I was fifth or sixth on, you know, top 10, but I'm used to using a rifle, you know, so um, that was fine. I, I feel like for me, it was the classroom learning the laws and all of that is what I spent most of my time focusing on. Um, so I didn't graduate super high in the class, but I was in the top 15. So that's fine for me. Um, but all of that stuff is more or less, you know, getting you geared toward going on the street and you feel like, you know, nothing until day one when you're in training or your field training and, you know, for my first day on the street, I remember getting uppercutted by this uh, lady in crisis, which means she had mental issues. The mm-hmm. uh, uh, call went out as, you know, there was this lady in the house by herself where her mom called. And she had a butcher knife and she was trying to stab the invisible people in the house. That's frowned upon. We like, oh. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Okay. Well, she's like, I'm not. She's like, I'm, she's not hurting me. She's trying to protect me from the invisible people. Mm-hmm. Great. Cool. So we get there. I'm searching the house with uh, one of my sergeants and my field trainer, and like we find her. She's holding on to the bottom of the closet door. Uh, you can see her nails grabbing the door from the other side. And I was like, hey, look down. There she is. Uh, and he was like, all right, on the count of three, we're going to open the door. You know, do some. And I, so she opened the door, and I'm looking at her hands for the butcher knife. Mm-hmm. I guess I looked too long because I was trying to make sure. And she just swiftly uppercuts me. My Oakley's fly off my head, and I'm just like, oh, my God. I just I – fr- I didn't freeze, but I was like, okay, this is how day one is going to go. This is happening right now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we got her into custody, and we got her the help she needed at the mental hospital. But, you know, the things that we see on TV are – they're a little glamorified, but it, any anybody on day one can either get stabbed, get shot, get in the shooting, foot chase, all those things. So – 
um, you go through that at the academy. They give you what's called a red man, and there's lots of scenarios. You're chasing a guy, but you can't run around the corner instantly because what if he's standing there with a gun? You're shot in the face. Right. So you got to you got to learn how to pie those corners. You know. So you speed up, slow down. You're hopping walls. You're checking over the walls to make sure the suspect isn't on the other side. So they do try to prepare you the best they can, right? But, you know, information is always changing. The streets are always evolving. So there needs to be a revamp at some point, you know? But um, it's a check in the box. We gave you this many hours in firearms. Right. We gave you this many hours in driving. We gave you this many hours in crisis intervention. We gave you this many hours on the law block. Okay, now you have to study on your own. And then we have six months to train you. Then you have another six months in the field. So now you're doing the hands-on portion. And if you have a really good trainer, you're going to learn a lot. If you have a trainer that just goes by the book, you'll learn what's by the book. But that's it. Yeah, and that's, that's, so, not, that's not ideal. I know what you're talking about. Just a guy who's like... Yeah. Well, uh, I'm an FTO, so I need to check this, that, and the other box, and that's all I'm going to do, no more, no less, because he doesn't, he or she doesn't want to be liable for teaching you. I mean, how to put it like the way things actually work, you know, the way things actually go down right. in the street, which isn't always what's in the manual, if I'm not mistaken. Right. I don't know about Houston, but right. everywhere I've been, that's been the case. Correct. So um, I feel like that needs to be corrected as well. Like everybody needs to be on the same level as far as teaching, and that way we get a better. Uh, a better officer out of that. But <clears throat> other than that, you know, the I started shooting a lot more with pistol on my own. Um, I room clear my own house sometimes. You know, my old lady looks at me crazy like, what are you doing? You're stupid. And I'm just like, look, <laughs> I'm not going to be the guy that's on the street and dies. And if I do, I'm... I'm going out properly. You know? Yeah, Even well, because I failed to train. The work, not. Yeah, so, you know, and you get it. You'll see officers on the street that, you know, their gun is rusted over. There's a lint on it, everything. And they just don't shoot, but they're the ones that talk too much, <laughs> you know? So, but yes, the, some academy, I mean, and, that, and that's another thing. All academies are not the same. So I'm only speaking from my own experiences or my time there. And I feel like I had a great time. There was a lot of stress. Stress inoculation is good because when you get into stressful situations, you dwelling in that, you know, 10, 15 minutes of stress, if you constantly been used to it, your reaction to what's going on is going to be a lot better than if you had no stress. You're going to make a lot more mistakes without stress inoculation. I'm not saying you won't make any, right? But those would be minimum compared to not having it at all. Yeah, concur. And I, I don't know if you felt this way when you go to scenario-based training in the academy, but you know when you're first introduced to these scenarios that are put together by veteran officers, you're like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, no, this isn't going to happen. Like, this is so far-fetched. You know, uh, you know, you're there for a shoplifter, and all of a sudden, uh, a suicidal lady bursts the door with a knife in her hand. Like, that's crazy. This isn't like a realist. But it turns out most of these scenarios are based on stuff that's actually happened or very close to that. And Correct. I could not agree more. With stress inoculation, and I think for me, force on force, whether it's simunitions or whatever, uh, shoot houses, is the most important part of the tactical part of your training. That's, again, just my opinion. Because if someone is shooting at you or assaulting you with a weapon or with their hands, uh, on the street, it should not be the first time you've 
done a mental rep about how to, how this goes down or how it's going to go. That the more right. reps you have, whether they're mental reps or actual reps and force on force, uh, like you said, searching your own house. Why wouldn't you do that? You know, why wouldn't you get that rep? And if you got a minute to do it, do it. Dry fire, et cetera, and so forth. But I think force on force and stress inoculation uh, needs to be emphasized a lot more than it is is currently. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. That's the that's that's what you're going to do. You you're sitting in a vehicle, and sometimes you will not get to go. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way up to a hundred. Right. Sometimes it is zero exactly to a hundred in a split second. Right. You know, so we're, you know, you're shooting at a target. What type of shooting are you doing? You're doing stagnant shooting. You're waiting for a target to face you. Mm -hmm. Your heartbeat is going to be normal. There's no jump. There's no spike. You need to go do mountain climbers. You need to run from the end of the range to the other end of the range. Get your heart rate up. Wait for the target and see if you see if you have steady aim after that. And you won't, but that's okay. That's why I would rather you train it to become better at it. So when you're on the street, you won't hear, well, why the officer miss? Right. Or, you know, or like, you know what I'm saying? And why do you like, shoot him in the leg? I yeah, I could have shoot him in the hand. Uh, no, that that is highly inaccurate. It doesn't, it's not a thing, but you understand what I'm saying. So yeah. The stress, the stress inoculation, force on force. We're doing force on force at our at our department. We have a very big training facility, uh, one of the third largest in the country. So it's an indoor, um, it's basically like an indoor city. You know, two stories. We have um, we have a classroom set up, so we we teach that there for you know situations that arise that come to us having to get into schools. We have a bank, we have hotel, we have condos. It's a, a real live, you know, street in there. We do simunition training, you know, teaching um, all the skill sets that are needed, you know, on the street on a daily basis. So I think our department is doing well with trying to get everyone up to speed in that asset or in that way. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that um, being Ellie in Houston, uh, there's rarely a dull moment. I mean, there's a lot of activity going on there. I mean, probably... There's almost almost every week. There's at least one Houston badge cam that we're doing because there's so much so much going on, you know, in in that sense. Right. Speaking of things going on in Houston, uh, let's talk about the the day in question. Uh, I we spoke about this earlier, but I went back and I rewatched um, the video on our breakdown of the incident, and holy mackerel, that was an absolutely insane incident. So, talk to us first about what what the call, what you were responding to. Uh, what what was the call, and then walk us through the the beginning of the incident? Okay, so uh, my partner and I were at the state at the station um, earlier that day. We had came in to actually help out SWAT to go catch the person in question. Um, so their operation got canceled. So we went back to we were going to hang out with the TAC guys and you know go help them get some narcotics off the street. Um, that ended up taking too long. So we're like, Hey man, let's get a sandwich. Let's get some snacks. Our day, our shift's about to start. I'm hungry. Let's do that. We're like, all right, cool. Go back to the station. We're hanging out. And while we're hanging out, eating the suspect's name that we were going to get earlier falls into the cost for service. So basically the fiance or girlfriend of the suspect called in and said that he was going to kill her. He has the automatic weapon. She's afraid of him, yada, yada. We're like, okay. 
we weren't the primary officers on that call. Our the buddy or the officers involved in that shooting were actually the officers that were responding to the scene. He was like, so my partner was like, hey man, that's our guy. What do you want to do? I was like, hey, call SWAT, call narcotics. I got this. So we're we're at the station, like calling everybody. And I'm calling narcotics. I'm like, hey, this, hey, bud, you know that dude we were gonna get earlier? He was like, Yeah, I was like, he's in the call for service loop now. What do you want to do? He's like, go get him. I was like, all right, cool. You sure? Yeah. All right. Call SWAT. Hey, this. so he was like, we gave him that information. He called SWAT. SWAT is now getting spooled up because now the the operation we had is now a full-blown thing with street officers, and that's not what we want. So I call Officer Alvarez. I'm like, hey, bud, um, the guy you're going after right now, he's got automatic guns. I need you to slow it down because you're not ready for, not in that way, you're not ready for this, but it can turn out bad. If you get there and you can contain him to the house, do that because we do not want to shoot out in the streets. Uh We want to get him contained to the house so SWAT can get there and do what they do best and then we'll move on from that. He's like, all right, all right, wait. And I was like, if so, wait for us to get there so at least we have numbers. Uh, So my partner and I, by this time, are in the vehicle we're, you know, flying to assist them. He calls me back. He's like, hey, bro. He's like, hey, bro, the dude's on the street. And we're like, oh, crap, you know, dang, it didn't work out. So by the time we got caught up to him, he was like, hey, we're behind him. We're like, do not do a felony stop yet. Let us get on your, let us get on your bumper and we'll start. We, uh, you know, it took us about another three minutes. We caught up to him. And once we caught up to him, he was like, go ahead, light him up, execute the felony stop. So, uh, hit the lights. We both we both hit our lights and sirens. He slow rolls us and he takes off like a bat out of hell, driving very uh, erratically, irresponsibly on the road, blowing stop signs, blowing red lights. We ended up back up on the freeway. We're headed to downtown at this point, blowing through traffic. Um, it gets to a point where it's almost gridlock, and we almost got him stopped on the freeway. Uh, once again, like I told you earlier, I'm glad that he did not stop on the freeway because that would have been a very bad place to get into a shootout yeah, with sure. all the innocent innocent civilians around us. Um, we ended up exiting into South Central's area, which is uh, McGowan and Hutchins, where he crashed into a, a concrete wall for a warehouse. And upon us turning the corner um, to catch up to him, he, it was like a movie. Everything slowed down. He sat up in his seat. You can see the the gun underneath the airbag, and he's starting to present towards the vehicle. My buddy or my partner is slant or putting the vehicle in park, and the car is just sliding. There's, I mean, there's nothing we can do. And all you hear my partner say is, "Watch out! Watch out!" I'm saying, "Watch out!" I'm six foot two, <laughs> and those cars are small. It was like being in a casket. I've never had to get that small in my life, and uh, it just sucked. So my partner uh, instantly, the, he opened up on us instantly. Uh, my partner was struck with a bullet that bounced off the hood of the vehicle straight through the windshield and into his right forearm. So that's him putting the vehicle in part. His arm was up high enough, and that's when he took the round. That round traveled up into his tricep, but he lost a lot of blood. Uh, jumped out of the car, exited, and ran far to get uh, cover and concealment and apply a tourniquet. Once that happened, 
This is all simultaneously. I get out of the vehicle, you know, trying to orient myself, draw my firearm, start putting down what I would like to call suppressive fire. Laying down some hate, not, hate and discontent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and where everyone who has watched the video see me drop my first magazine, that's when I was actually shot through the bottom of my right heel. So I clenched up on the um, on my service weapon out of pain. Um, moved to get off the X, got a fresh mag in there, tried to take a shot. Shot didn't go off. Oh, snap. Tap rack, got back in the fight, started uh, walking on my suspect again, laying down fire, trying to incapacitate him in the vehicle if I could. Dropped the mag again because I wasn't used to walking on an open cavity yeah, in my I mean, foot. You, you can be forgiven for uh, for a little pain response with your shattered heel you're trying to walk on inside of a boot. I can imagine that's not, not comfortable. Definitely not comfortable. Um, so I egress back to my point of cover, put my third mag in. That's 21 rounds, and I gave that car everything I had at that point. To my surprise, he gets out of the vehicle. And I'm like, what the heck, man? Oh, how no. did he? How? How? I see uh, that he's about to run up the street. So I look down on the ground. There's my second mag that I had dropped earlier before. I eject that third magazine that's in my firearm, pick the one up off the ground. I give way to chasing the suspect. Officer Alvarez and Officer Racinos are now, you know, uh, in response with me. Um, I tried to push off the sidewalk because he was on the sidewalk at one point. He could have just turned around and gave us a nice burst. So I tried to fan out and have cars and trees between us so he couldn't see that. At that point, you hear me, car, car, get on the other side of the car. I push Alvarez into the street and I jump in front of Alvarez. By this time, the suspect is carjacking a nice young lady uh, in front of a building. At that time, he turns around and lets off a single shot or a burst to where Officer Alvarez receives a, uh, a gunshot wound to his right femur. Uh, it severed his femur completely. He uh, falls back to a vehicle. I was in front of him, so I had to turn around and run back to the vehicle he was at to you know, see if I could help him. At that point, the suspect had taken the female out of the vehicle at gunpoint, um, and I could see him sitting in the driver's seat. So I checked on Alvarez. He was okay. I popped back up, you know, slowed my breathing down, took controlled breaths uh, as I was taught in the Marine Corps for a well-aimed shot, and I took a couple well-aimed shots to that vehicle. To my surprise, the suspect still after receiving a gunshot, I was able to drive away from that scene, to which we see later where SWAT goes to the house and apprehends him. After he drives away, I apply a tourniquet to Officer Alvarez's right leg, and then I run all the way back up the street to check up on my partner. So, pretty crazy scene. Real quick, let's talk about, um, well, a lot of things, actually, to unpack from that story. Um, Tell our audience uh, what kind of uh, weapon system this guy was was working with, or systems, I should say. Yeah, so the uh, the suspect had two weapon platforms. He had a just a regular Glock with a 3D printed Glock switch on the rear of the firearm and a 50 round drum. That was the first firearm he used 
opening up on us when we came around the corner. And so when you, so for those who don't know, what does it mean to have that switch? What does that do to the gun? So that switch basically holds the sear uh, out of from going back into battery. That way the firearm can cycle rapidly without any, uh, without any stop. As long as your finger's on the trigger, bullets will continue to uh, flow from that gun until you're out or you stop pulling the trigger. So it's essentially fully automatic pistol. Yes, it is, sir. Okay. And then the second weapon was what? The second weapon was another Glock, but it was put into a uh, weapon platform called a Micaroni. It wasn't a 3D printed ghost gun or anything. You can buy a macaroni off of the internet. It's about three to $500, I believe. So this platform is used to take your pistol that you have at home, you open it up, you put, you drop the pistol in there, um, and then you can stabilize that pistol by firing from your shoulder. So it almost makes it like an AR pistol uh, without all the ramification and laws that have to go with that. Um, and therefore, it stabilizes the pistol much more. But he still had another switch on the Glock that he put in that. And, you know, still very inaccurate, but accurate enough to get lucky shots off on us. Yeah, we were talking before before we started here, and I, I did mention that it, it's this is becoming a thing now with these Glock um, switches being uh, installed in guns to make them fully automatic. And you just have to hope the knuckleheads that are doing this uh, for criminal reasons – aren't trying to train with them because honestly trying to, I've, I've fired a, a Glock 17. I can't I think it's 17 C or something like that. That's full mm-hmm. auto. It is not practical as a, as an offensive weapon. It's just really, really hard to control. And if you haven't really practiced with it, the odds of being accurate um, are, are pretty slim. However, as we, as you and I both know, having uh, law enforcement experience, the bad guys always seem to get lucky, not always, but a lot of the times seem to get lucky, whether it's uh shooting or receiving gunfire. And in this case, you did connect with at least one round. Talk to us about what happened to our bad guy uh, when he was shot. So as I was informed from a couple of my friends who responded to the scene, um, the suspect did receive a gunshot wound to the base of his skull. So he's dead, right? The shooting. He's obviously dead. Oh, no. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, no. That round did a nice travel around his face and lodged into his nasal cavity uh, where it stuck. And now that's all he got. Um, a couple of my friends on the SWAT team told me that he went home. When they found him at home, he was sitting in a recliner. You can see the paleness on his face. He's he's bleeding out. He's going. The female that called, whether it's fiance or girlfriend, gave him Narcan. He had OD'd on heroin as well. She narcaned him and brought him back to life. Oh, thanks. So, we appreciate that, yeah, ma'am. I feel so, I feel like she should she should get charged for that, but that's just <laughs> me. <laughs> so, do do we think? Just an aside, do we think he was attempting to OD and kill himself, or is that a possibility? Um. So, in combat experience, fighting overseas, uh, opioids keep you numb from pain. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if he was high during the first uh, interaction where he got called on by the fiance or wife or fiance or girlfriend. So that could have been a thing at that point. At no point in time, I don't think he would have been able to stick a needle in his arm during that firefight and, you know, 
give give himself that rush during during the course of action. So it could have been a lot earlier uh, before the the vehicle pursuit uh, pursued and ended up at home. So there's a friend of mine who's hopefully going to be on the show soon once all the legal stuff is is done with. He's um worked for my former agency. He was uh, one of our SRT or SWAT members, and your and his story are actually kind of similar. He had he ended up in a shootout uh, during a traffic stop uh, with a smuggler. Smuggler had a something like an SKS or AK and they ended up face to face their vehicles ended up face to face after a pit maneuver. And this guy starts unloading with this AK pattern rifle through the windshield. My buddy had an AR uh, M4 rather, but had to ditch it because he had to roll out of the car so quickly ended up fighting a guy with an AK with a, with a Glock 17, not a fully automatic one either, a regular Glock 17 and prevailed. But the injury pattern to that bad guy was very similar. It was hit in the skull and it traveled around his skull and didn't, didn't penetrate because bad guys have all the luck apparently. Let me ask you this, and I think um, I, I might have mentioned this in the video. We broke it down. I don't recall. What's the patrol rifle policy for your agency, and what did you have one available to you? Was it the fact that you were shot at so quickly you couldn't get to it? Talk to us about that. So if you're riding in the Crown Vic, I don't know if the millennials listening <laughs> would know what a Crown Vic is, but they don't have a rifle rack in the front seat. So you can have your rifle in vehicle mode, which is just the magazine asserted no round in the chamber and put in the trunk. That's so not helpful at all. That's, that's, that's one part of the policy. Yeah. Uh, now we have at that time we had an Explorer. So if you do have the rifle, it's still in um, vehicle mode, which is magazine inserted no round in the chamber. And then it's locked into the cage. There's a button uh, towards the windshield where your rear view mirror is that you have to tap in order to unlock that, in order to pull it out. Unfortunately for us that day, we both did not have our rifles. Um, I had not, uh, I had not done my rifle qual for the year, which is in December. You do it on your birth month. My birth month is December. As I told you earlier, I had just came back from an injury. So I had been on the street for three weeks from that previous injury up into that shooting. Uh, we both, um, and my, my partner is also a field trainer. So he had missed his birth month because he was training cadets to be the real police. <laughs> so yeah. we both, we, we, we both didn't have rifles that day. Um, unfortunately, would it have helped out tremendously? Yes, it would have. But also in that point of him getting that many rounds off so fast, our, we probably much would have had to ditch our rifles as well um, to get out of harm's way and leave them there. So, but as this is going down, is it in your mind how much you want your your AR <laughs> rifle at that moment? How much you wish you had it? That had to kill you. Definitely, I wish. I definitely wish I would have had it. The shot I would have taken uh, from the back of the vehicle while tending to Officer Alvarez probably would have been the lights out shot. That would been a much needed. shorter gunfight. Yeah, indeed. So let's talk about the immediate aftermath. It's one of those things I think a lot of people don't think about and i'm pretty sure we have quite a few le listeners who've never been in a shooting so the dust clears this guy takes off walk us through what happens right afterwards for example how long does it take for people who aren't shot cops who aren't shot to get there to assist you Uh, are you relieved of your gun all that sort of thing are you taken to the hospital walk us through the sequence of events immediately after uh, there's no more threat So fortunately for us, the South Central Station was one block over from the shooting. 
I believe the shooting was maybe a minute, maybe quicker than that. It was Could have been about a minute. Could have been about a minute. Um, so the response time wasn't bad. Uh, by the time Officer Hayden got to apply the tourniquet to himself, one of the TAC team officers showed up and started helping him finish tying off that tourniquet. So the response was great. It was quick. Um, and I was able, I was able to tell the officers who arrived, hey, he's in a white Mercedes. He's going northbound. Get back in the car and go. All right. So they got in the car. I applied to turn and get the officer Alvarez's uh, right leg. His partner, Officer Racinos, I was like, hey, stay with him. Wait for an ambulance to come. I ran back up the street because I was worried about my partner. Um, so and so forth. And now the pain is, pain, after the adrenaline dump, now the pain is actually starting to wear in. Oh, man, like, I bet. My, my foot is hurting. Um, initially, when I got shot, it felt like somebody just uh, took a rock and slung it as hard as they could at my heel. Hmm. And during during the shooting, I was like, am I shot? I don't know. But keep moving. Keep moving. I'm yeah. not down. So <clears throat> one of the narcotics tag team officers comes to me in the shooting. He's like, hey, bro, you need to sit down. And I'm like, no, I don't want to sit down. I need to find my partner. But like, where is he? I see a blood trail from with the car and it's off somewhere. I'm like, where's my partner? Um, he's like, dude, just sit down real quick. Let's look at your foot. And I'm like, I don't want to look at my foot. It's, I don't want to look at it. Right <laughs> I really now. don't. I actually no desire to look at whatever's going on inside of my boot right now. Right. So he, the narcotics tag team officer is also Marine. Uh, we know each other. I'm like, Hey, you were in the Marine Corps, right? He was like, yeah. And I was like, how would you feel if you didn't know where your battle buddy was? And he looks at me. He's like, man, why'd you have to say that? He's like, all right, come on, let's go over there. But I need you to sit down first or we're not walking. I was like, all right, bro, we'll take, we'll sit down. So I'm taking off my boot and, you know, you have to wear a uniform, but I think personally we should be able to wear wacky socks. Keeps your personality, you know, keeps you grounded in your personality. Like Superman so socks or day, Porky Pig or something like that. Yeah. On this day I was happy to wear, I was happened to wear my American flag socks, right? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> took the, took the boot off and, just like a flag waving on the pole, there is a hole and the patch of my sock is just waving. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I, I just got back from being injured. Now I have this big hole in my foot. The boot had soaked up all the blood that was pouring out on my foot. So what kind of boots? Everything. Danner Bates? Uh, I, was, I was wearing Solomon GTX 8, eight inch boots. Very comfortable. Um, Shout out to Solomon. And they're waterproof. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And I feel obviously, obviously, with the profile of that boot, um, I'm very fortunate because if it was any higher, I think I would be medically retired at this point. Or any lower, if the profile of the boot was lower, I'd probably be medically retired at this point. Um, it would have done some damage. So I'm very thankful for that boot. Um, anyway, so commanders are showing up. Chiefs are showing up. Um, homicide shows up all these different divisions are showing up and like, Hey, blah, blah. The, unfortunately for that day, the paramedics got sent to the original house location. Oh no. So they didn't show up to our scene. Our officer, Alvarez is waiting for a ambulance. We're waiting for an ambulance. So our officer shows up and just like get in the car. So we just jump in the back of, I jump in the back of one of the, the units Officer, 
my partner jumps in the front. Officer Officer Alvarez is still waiting for an ambulance, but we take off. We basically have a cord on. Other police vehicles are jumping in the way. We were literally 10 minutes from the hospital. Uh, we got there pretty quick. We got to the hospital, and they're like, what's going on? You got two officers with gunshots, and the nurses are like, what's going on? And the first thing they do, go, where's your ID? And I'm like, this what? uniform is my Wait, ID. What? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, not even joking. Where where's your ID? What does it have to do with anything? Yeah, I need help now. It was funny. We, we're laughing at it, you know, to this day. But where's your ID? And I'm like, uh, okay, I'm shocked. But here's my Texas That's driver's license. Bizarre. So I mean, we get help. So Alvarez ends up getting there maybe 15 minutes later. Now we're all in rooms like next to each other. Obviously, you can hear Alvarez in more pain than all of us because oh, that's that's just the big that's just the big you know piece of meat, and now the bone is broken. Um, so while you're there, you know they're hitting you with all these drugs. You know you need this, you need this. They gave me fentanyl, and I'm like, "Yo, are you trying to kill me? Yeah. I don't want any fentanyl. <laughs> you know, what, what, just give me some pain pills. I'm not dead." He's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's microdosing. And I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah. I know about that, but still. Um, so we got a visit from um, SIU, which is basically for officer-involved shootings. They they come out, they talk to you. The psych services came came out. They have to talk to you. And, They're you know, like, like Officer Gatson, how does it make you feel? Yeah. <laughs> shot in the ankle or in, in the keel. Right? You're like... They're like, you know, you're probably going to get PTSD from this. You may not know how, you know, all good for them. The warm and fluffy, they try to make you feel like, you know, you're going to be taken care of. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I've been through this already. Just give me the card. Um, the chief of police shows up with his other uh, assistant chiefs and he talks to you. He lets you know, hey, man, we got your back. This is, you know, you did an outstanding job. I already, oh, yeah, they take your body camera instantly that's gone mm-hmm. but <clears throat> we already watched it did a good job just want you to know we have your back so uh hpd is really good with the resource aspect of after it's all said and done making sure you're taken care of good to hear you know if you're in the yeah if you're in the right and you know all my all of our friends from the station just showed up and they're just like dude i'm like hey man i'm good you know i'm not dead I'm thankful i'm not dead and I'm glad you guys are here. And it was just, it's good to see the support, you know. So you get bombarded. The first first week, I felt like I was never off the phone. Yeah, I can imagine it could almost yeah. be too too much. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off script here for a second and ask you a question I never asked anybody because it occurred to me as you were talking about getting in just any any patrol car and getting off to the hospital. What's the weirdest thought that went through your head? Because for me, I can almost guarantee where it's going to be, man, my sandwich is still back there in the patrol car. I never got a chance to eat it. Like what went through your head? Um, I don't know. So I wasn't any weird thoughts. I was just like, bro, I just got back on the streets from getting hit by a car. I was off the streets for a whole year. Been back three weeks and I was supposed to work out today. Now I can't. Um, Biggest thing for me was calling my son. Um, I wanted, at the time, I didn't know he had seen it on TV. So, oh, you're kidding. Right. So, 
I just wanted to call him and be like, hey, um, you know, dad's good. I'm in the hospital and I just want you to know I love you. That was it. So I had that was the biggest thing for me is just letting my son know that I'm alive, you know, because I didn't grow up with, with my real dad. So that, you know, sad story, typical no dad, but that's my kid and he's going to know I'm here. So it wasn't I don't feel like I had any weird thoughts. It was just making sure that people I know who love me knew I was OK. Yeah, we, we talk about spiritual fitness all the time, you know, uh, trying not to leave things unsaid, trying not to leave, you know, the house for your shift. If you're a law enforcement or leave the house for any other reason, if you're, you know, a CCW holder, whatever the case might be, making sure you say the things you got to say, don't leave fights, you know, open ended if you can avoid it, because you don't want that stuff popping into your head in the middle of a gunfight. Like, oh, no, I should have told Janine um, that I felt bad about leaving my underwear on the floor or whatever it is. Like, you don't want those yeah. thoughts pop it in your head at the wrong moment when they can distract you from what you need to do or in the aftermath if you're like hey this is it i'm dying right now and i never got to say fill in the blank whatever that might be can i ask right. how, how old your boy right. was when this happened uh he is seven he is going to turn eight this year old enough so. to understand yeah 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 so um on the way to the hospital i called my fiance <laughs> she knew she's an officer as well okay so she's like are you okay? Are you dying? I'm like, look, I'm actually, so at this point I'm, I have my arm wrapped in the, the other seat belt that's across the way. And I'm holding on to the cage in the back and I have myself, I have my cell phone in my hand and I'm laughing, you know, I, I'm good. It's just a shot through my foot. I can't feel anything right now. I'm in a lot of pain, but you know, no major injuries to me no major injury i have my foot whatever and she's like no no but you know that's that's the phone call I, that was the first phone call i made was to her to let her know i was okay if you have to call your girl from the backseat of a police car that's probably the best way to have to do it i mean all things being considered uh so talk to us about uh investigation it sounds like everyone was assuring you right off the bat that you were good to go it was going to be a good shoot and by the way when cops talk about a good shoot we don't mean it's good to have shot someone that really means that it was Good shoot is, is short for it was a justified shooting. So it seems like policy. Yeah, it seems like you knew that was the case. Was there ever we don't have to go into it on in great detail. Was there any concern on your part? You were outside the lines or anything was gonna come come of that or, or, or get you jammed up? No, the only uh, so you know, with him opening up fire on us, it gave us justification to use deadly force immediately. It wasn't like we progressed into deadly force. So there was no progression. This day was zero to 100. We did everything we could have done in order to try to take this dude into, uh, get him in the cuffs and get him to jail. It didn't work out that way. The only part um, that came into question was at the point in time of him sitting in the driver's seat, the passenger of that or the driver of that vehicle was still very close in proximity to the vehicle. Because I guess at this point, she's shocked, doesn't know what's going on. When I took my last well-aimed shots from over 30 yards away. And they're like, well, why did you take that shot with her so close to the car? And I'm like, hey, at any point in time, he could have pulled that gun up and shot her and made another victim for us to have to take care of. So I took those shots in confidence because I shoot past 25 yards. I make that part of my training. I'm comfortable with that shot. And I took that shot. And they're like, okay, that's all I need to know. So 
Um, I I feel like you could get into trouble. Obviously, if she would have got hit all day, I got I have to take responsibility for that round. But they have to paint the picture for the jury. That was one of the things that came into question. It could have went, you know, left or right with their but I didn't get dinged for taking that that shot. Let's talk for a second about that training. Um, I, when I was active duty, um, at least once a quarter, I would be at the range with my pistol. You know, I, I had a pistol, shotgun, backup, you know, backup pistol, and an M4. Um, but mm-hmm. I figured the odds of being in a shooting, if I'm in a shooting with an M4, I'm pretty freaking confident I'm going to make whatever shot I need to make with that. It's not a problem. You know, I, w- I would train with right. it. But most officers end up in their gunfights using their pistol. That's just how it ends up working. Unless you're on a pre-planned op where you already have a rifle on you. It's a, uh, you know, somebody starts shooting you through a windshield. You're, you're probably not going to have time to get to your rifle as we now know. So I would at least once a quarter, I'd be at the range and I'd put a, um, a six inch plate at 75 yards. And I'm, mm-hmm. it's not a quick shot. It's not fast, but the confidence boost that I got from hitting that, slow time deliberate fire 10 out of 10 times at 75 yards i think that that's the kind of thing we're talking about where if you have confidence in your marksmanship if you have confidence in your ability at a distance with your pistol it it could save someone's life and it turns out it may have done that on that day for you so with with all that said um we talked about the the touchy-feely patrol coming in and, and giving you the pep talk about pts and everything um you know, there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to PTS. Some people get it very badly for things that you wouldn't think maybe are that significant of events. And some people go through stuff like you went through and have zero. Um, would you say that you suffer from anything that manifested itself, a uh, loss of sleep, hypervigilance, any of the normal stuff like that or, or, or no. And there's no, there's no wrong oh, answer. Oh yeah. No. Um, once again, props to the Marine Corps and being overseas. I've been in high stress situations already numerous times. So I would say I'm better suited for it. I know where to channel. I know how to channel it sometimes. Hypervigilance every now and then. Yeah. I'm any slight noise. I'm up out of the bed and I'm like, did you hear that? No, go back to bed. And then I can't go back to sleep for a little bit. So it, it, it happens every now and then. Some days I just, don't talk really quiet. And that's because I'm thinking about what I could have done better, you know, on that scene. And I'm reliving that scene um, in daydreaming, I guess, if you want, or cycling through it in my mind. And I'm Monday morning quarterbacking myself. I shouldn't do it because I, I did everything I could have done. But there's just the, well, what if I did this? Or what if I did that? What would what, what have been that outcome? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say PTSD, um, maybe a little anxiety at times, but yeah. Since, since you're putting yourself through it, uh, when you are second-guessing yourself, just give us an example of what you think you might have done differently or, or if you could go back and knowing what you know now, what would you, what would you have changed, if anything? Well, I could have gotten the front seat and drove the car directly into his car and pinned him against the wall. So there's no escape at all. Could have done that. Uh, we also on that day had a, a ballistic shield in the back. Um, I could have probably shot the window out and pulled it out 
through the the glass in the Explorer, but I probably would have gotten in trouble for shooting the glass out. So, you know, those things, or just have, you know, knowingly, knowing the area I work in uh, Houston, I, my partner and I talked about getting our rifle calls earlier the week before, mm-hmm. and we should have done it because it would have would have done what it needed to, would have been a great asset to have that day. Um, you know, and just those are the three biggest things that come to mind when it comes to that day. You know, all things being equal, he, he didn't end up killing anyone, right? At the end of the day? No, sir. So, not. so you and your partners, um, got in front of and stood tall to the extent that you possibly could in front of a really active, very dangerous threat and did your job to the best of your ability. I, I, I think this, um, these tapes, the badge and, and dash cam should be shown in academies across the country as an example of it's okay to be afraid. You just got to overcome it and do your job. Uh, all, right. all the things you said you might've done differently. Yeah. That's definitely something you're going to think about a week later, but in the moment you're being shot at by a fully automatic weapon and you did what you had to do. And I, I can't thank you enough for your service to your community. I thank you for your service to our country in the Marine Corps. Uh, I consider you a friend now, Nathan. So when we get off here, I'm going to shoot you my number. And if I'm ever in Houston or you're ever in Arizona, uh, I'd, I'd love to buy you a coffee or beer or whatever and, and hang out. And, oh. and thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Definitely come to Texas. We have great steaks here. You know, <laughs> I'll never turn out a steak. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about that day and you know get the story out there. Unfortunately, uh, you know, can't litter the magazines, but, (laughs) you know, we we try to make sure people know that there are still, sucks to say, good cops. You know, we all would like to think that every cop that takes the oath to serve the community is good, but that's not the case in any profession, whether you're a cop, firefighter, doctor, lawyer, like people with true, people's true colors come out eventually, you know, Um, but we got to show you know, the community that's on our side that we're not going to back down from a fight. We want to keep the, we want to keep the community safe. And if, you know, the officers don't have the gumption to act then you know, evil is going to take over the streets, man. We can't have that. Absolutely true. And I'll just, I'll just end with this. You know, the, the problem with you have with, with uh, bad police officers, the police officers, just like doctors, lawyers, dentists, firefighters, um, you name it, they're, they're, it's made up of people, you know, it's just people. And unfortunately there, there's a certain type that's drawn to law enforcement for the wrong reasons. And you're always going to have that. And unfortunately they're usually pretty good at presenting themselves as something other than what they are during the hiring process. I just feel like we, as a profession, we can always do better at pointing out, cause we all know who I'm going to curse. So if the kids are in the car, cover their ears. We all know who the shitheads are in our agency. We all know who they are. Frequently, they're not going to skyline themselves with anything obvious. So I've talked about this before. I knew two cops in my career that I knew 100% were racist as all get out. But they never, mm-hmm. they never, they're not going to shout the N word on a traffic stop. They're not going to skyline themselves. They're just going to do what they can do within their authority to make life more difficult for non white people. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. they're, we, we have to figure out a way to weed these guys out. And I think that starts by us not being afraid to call them out. I know I never was um, during my time. And yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Uh, I think you're a good cop, Nathan. 
and I appreciate your service. And, and again, I can't thank you enough for coming on and telling the story. I know it couldn't have been easy. I appreciate it. I mean, just to reiterate what you said, when it comes to calling those dudes out, uh, the, the usual consensus is, oh, the thin blue line, huh? You know, with sarcasm. Mm-mm. But people don't realize that the thin blue line is not us protecting bad officers. It's there are, there are more there's more evildoers on the street than there are officers and that thin blue line is the good cops that stands between you and them. It's a thin blue line because there's not enough of us to take care of the community. That's what that stands for. We don't cover over uh, for bad dudes. We, we want them gone. Yeah. So they, they, make, they it. make our life more difficult, frankly. Right. Right. So there it is, man. All right. Good. I appreciate you, brother. All right, gang. That's the end of our interview. You know what that means? It's time for the Gutowski Files, starring, you're back to starring, by the way, Stephen Gutowski. He is the founder of TheReload.com and the host of the Weekly Reload podcast, a fine podcast, I might say, which is available in its video form on YouTube. You can get, uh, get clips there. And if you are a member at The Reload, and if you're not, why not? You can watch it a day early. Stephen, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you coming back, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, the finest of podcasts. If we age that podcast for like a day or two before it gets released. Um, just like a fine wine or cheese, like cheese. Yes, yeah, so, like a stinky cheese. That's right. so. The, Stephen Gutowski, like a stinky cheese. That's going to be <laughs> somewhere on your resume. So this this week we are discussing well, kind of what we talked about last week. Um, surprisingly, in a stunning reversal, the uh, United States House of Representatives uh, passed passed. Need a nap. Passes the assault weapons ban that we discuss. Um, not that long ago, uh, but it looks yeah, like last week, it's right? gonna, yeah, it's going to face a pretty uphill battle uh, in the Senate. So, Stephen, tell us about what's going on in Washington. Yeah, so they had tried to broker this deal where they were going to vote on this assault weapons ban, uh, you know, so-called, you know, quote-unquote assault weapons ban uh, alongside a police funding bill that Democratic uh, moderates wanted to pass in the house. That was going to be, that's what they were trying to work towards. They had announced they had a made a deal. And then all of the uh, progressive Democrats and the congressional black caucus went, uh, the rank and file members did not agree with the deal that the leadership had made on this point. And they basically were like, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, And basically the moderates caved and did the vote on the assault and span without the police funding bill. So, and it passed, it passed just barely 217 votes to 213, I believe, which, um, I know some, some people might be like, well, wait, it shouldn't, isn't it supposed to be 218 or whatever? Uh, you know, it has to be more than half of the, the house, which should be 218, but because of, uh, retirements and vacancies, they only needed 216. So they got one more than they needed, although it should be noted that they had two Republicans vote for this bill. So the Democrats would not have passed this on their own, or at least they would have had to force, you know, another one of the five Democrats that voted against it to come on board. So it was very close. It came down to the wire, but they did get it passed. Um, and yeah, it heads to the Senate where, frankly, there's almost no chance that it it's going to pass. In fact, it probably won't even get a vote. It could but it probably won't. Let's talk about two things real quick. One, what would possess um, a Republican 
U.S. representative to to vote for something like this. I mean, because here's my I'm pretty cynical when it comes to politicians, right? I don't think any of them really care about much of anything, but keeping their jobs and therefore their, every vote they take, unless you know, unless it's something really uncontroversial, most of the votes they take that are, are things that are in the headlines or hot button issues. There's a calculation. What's going to get me elected next time? That's just my two cents. Why, why would a Republican um, representative decide to vote for this? What's what's the what are the machinations behind the scenes there? Yeah, so that's usually a really good calculation. The one time where that's not true is when a politician is retiring. Mm, and uh, Jacobs, the representative from New York, the republic one of the Republicans who voted for this is retiring. And it seems to be a conscious vote on his part, frankly, because he came out in support of this, this ban, which affects um, to be, you know, just to give a little bit of insight into what exactly assault weapons means in this case, uh, because it's a sort of nebulous term and it can be different from state to state where they have these bans. And frequently is yes. Yeah. Well, so, but uh, I guess to get at the core of it, they're going after AR 15s primarily. And so semi-automatic center fire, rifles that accept detachable magazines and have one or more band feature, which includes things like adjustable stocks, um, flash suppressors or threaded barrel to accept the flash suppressor, uh, barrel shrouds, pistol grips, those sorts of things. If you have, if your gun has a combination of those, uh, it becomes illegal under this bill. There's same thing for semi-automatic shotguns and, uh, also, some handguns are affected, mainly, you know, AR and AK pistols. They, mm-hmm. they do that by weight. But either way, um, he came out after Buffalo, uh, where an AR-15 was used, although it was, of course, an AR-15 that had been bought be- legally under New York's assault, owns assault weapons ban, mm-hmm. uh, and, then, and then was modified by the shooter. But uh, he, after that event, he came out in favor of the assault weapons ban and announced he was retiring because he got a lot of backlash and uh, figured he wasn't going to be able to actually win re-election after that. So he's sort of gone all in on this issue, uh, apparently, because he really does believe uh, in this policy. Now, the other guy, uh, Brian Fitzpatrick, who is a Pennsylvania Republican, he's from uh, southeastern Pennsylvania near Philadelphia, and he has been a longtime gun control advocate uh, one of the few Republicans that is consistently endorsed by the gun control groups, you know, every town and Brady and, and Giffords, and they all ador- endorsed him again this time around. Mm. Uh, so he, that's more of a, I, I imagine is more of a political calculation for Brian Fitzpatrick's part of his platform that he's run on there uh, and won reelection in, uh, you know, a, a purplish area uh, consistently. And so that's, that would be the reason that uh, the politics of it would be more explainable there. So quick civics lesson, because this is one of the few, I'm, I'm pretty up on my civics. I know how, how a bill becomes a law. I watched the cartoons along with everyone else back in the seventies. Um, explain to our listeners, because you told me earlier, this thing probably won't even get a vote. It won't even be voted on who decides what makes it to the floor of the Senate to be to what bill or what legislation actually makes it there to be voted on who can decide we're not even going to bring this up or we are how does that work exactly uh to simplify it basically it's the majority leader so chuck schumer the senator from new york the democrat from new york would be the one who ultimately decides whether or not a bill is going to get a floor vote 
or not. Um, you know, the Senate is a little more of a, a collaborative governing effort than the House is because, you know, you, I mean, you need the minority party to uh, be on board with, to some degree, you know, how votes are going to go, the scheduling of things. Um, and so the minority party has a little more power in the Senate than it, or really a lot more power in the Senate than it does in the House. That's for sure. The House uh, is basically run, um, you know, by the speaker and there's no, the, the minority doesn't have much power at all there other than just casting their votes a certain ways. Uh, but yeah, so Chuck Schumer is going to be the one who decides. That is just the bottom line. And the problem they face in the Senate is, I mean, one is time. Uh, there's not a lot of time left before the, the election. I mean, the, they've got the August recess, which uh, is going to eat up a lot of working days where they're back in their, their districts to, you know, talk to, to do to campaign and to talk to um, constituents and whatever else they do. And, uh, you you're really only going to have a couple working weeks left before the election happens. And frankly, they have a lot of other stuff to do. I mean, you can see it right now. If you go look at the schedule in the Senate, they're voting on all sorts of things. And, and frankly, they're voting on things that are likely to pass uh, and that are passing and that have been priorities for both the democratic leadership of, in Congress and the president. So, you know, getting things through like this uh, slimmed down version of Build Back Better that Joe Manchin, the, the Democrat from West Virginia, has agreed to, that's much higher priority than vote, taking a symbolic vote on the assault weapons ban. Because, uh, especially because the things that they're voting on now are a lot of reconciliation stuff. It's a lot of budget stuff where they only need 50 votes to get it through the Senate. And they right. don't have to worry about bringing any Republicans on board to do anything they want. They just have to get their own party to agree to something. Uh, whereas new legislation, that's not, you know, this, this limited slice of budgetary uh, rulemaking, that stuff needs 60 votes to pass. So the assault men would need 60 votes to pass. They'd need 10 Republicans. And it's extremely unlikely they're going to get that. I think it's very unlikely they would get 50 Democrats if they put it up for a vote tomorrow. You know, there's only 37 co-sponsors of the Senate version of this bill. Uh, you'll probably, you'd probably see more than 37 Democrats vote for it if it was put up for a vote. But that's a big incentive why they wouldn't put it up for a vote. They don't, you know, the politics of this aren't great for Senate Democrats for a lot, you know, the moderates um, that they're already worried about losing. And it really doesn't matter which way they vote either, you know, for most of them, because they'd rather just not talk about it, not take a position because if they take a position, even if they vote no, and they're, you know, they could go back to their state and say, I'm standing up for gun rights against my party uh, you know, that's still going to alienate at least some of the Democrats in that state who are for an assault weapons So oftentimes they'd rather, I mean, that, this is true of politicians generally, <laughs> they, you know, they don't want to take stances on anything <laughs> if they can avoid it. Yeah, especially if, if you're not from a from a sort of homogenous, you know, district, like certain districts in, you know, Texas or Alabama or New York or California, where you don't have to worry that much about getting reelected or being primaried, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that... Um, the, the stance you don't take, you can't be called on later. It's kind of like when you testify in court, you can't be impeached in the thing you didn't say. So right. sp speak carefully. Very similar idea there. I mean, you know, politicians want to get reelected. 
sometimes that means you, you know, you got to show accomplishments. So you got to vote on some things. Uh, but if you don't have to vote, you don't want to vote. You don't have, you don't want to take a position. You don't want to piss off somebody, even if it makes somebody else happy. Uh, so, and you know, the, these guys already did guns is the other thing to it. Like they, they passed a successful bipartisan bill on gun control this year. And so this kind of steps all over that. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure that their Senate Democrats are very happy about this situation, but uh, you know, it's more likely to just kind of, you know, go fall away to the side. It's yeah. not as far as politics go. I mean, everyone's, you can look at the, the DC publications, Politico, Punchbowl news. These guys covered, they, they, you know, they were, they got the scoops on the solvents ban vote in the house and they were following that super close and the drama of it. And then as soon as it passed, no one has talked about this at all in the DC publications that, cause there's just, everyone knows it's not going to pass the Senate. And there's no real urgency to try and even see if it's going to get a vote because there's so much other drama going on for, for the you know, DC insider crowd. Right. And you know, my, you, my cynicism as it relates to politicians, as you know, Stephen knows no bounds. Uh, I don't think any of them really care, quite frankly, they're just going to d- vote whatever way they fix it and get them reelected. I think term limits at some point would be wonderful. You know, get, I mean, even give, give a Senator, maybe make it eight years, one term representative, six years, one term. And that way they can, you know, we're not so worried about it. I mean, I know there's, there's some long time uh, politicians that we like to see stick around, but quite frankly, I'd like to see everyone um, there go away <laughs> and start over. Well, hey, we do that with our governors here in Virginia. And, and I, I, one thing I'll tell you is that it's certainly not a silver bullet. No, no, for sure. Solve, solve problems. You know, there's, there's pros and cons to all these things. Um, but either, you know, for those worried about the assault weapons ban actually going into effect and uh, they're not being able to buy AR-15s anymore, uh, you know, I would say don't worry too much. Uh, now, <laughs> it's probably going to drive a ton of sales anyway. Yeah. Uh, I just I did a piece at Discourse Magazine um, on, that, on that subject, too. You know, even though the bill is probably has very little chance of making it to Joe Biden's desk for signature, People are probably going to buy a lot of ARs and AKs in the meantime anyway, because that's how these things go. Which is fine. Folks, if you are, and you shouldn't be if you listen to this podcast before, but if you are lamenting the lack of down-the-middle, sane, sober reporting on the Second Amendment and all things gun-related, you know what to do. First of all, go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating or review. We like five stars, and we like the name Gutowski. It's G-U-T-O-W-S-K-I. Gutowski, leave that so we know you made it this far. Go over to the reload.com and carefully consider getting a membership. Steven relies on your, his members, uh, uh, dues, whatever you want to call it, um, to fund yes. his important work. And Steven, uh, I want to thank you for the work you're doing, uh, continuing to do. And I thank you for being on. We'll see you next week. Absolutely.